ladies, and welcome to the Amazing Bible Book Club. I am Julie Callio, your host, and thank you so very much for taking the time out of your busy schedules to tune in with me today. If by chance you want to contact me, you can do that at theab.bc.pc at gmail.com. Today we're finally looking at Melchizedek in Hebrews chapter 7. So far in Hebrews, Jesus is better than the Old Testament prophets, the angels, Moses, Joshua, and Aaron the high priest. And chapter 7 compares Melchizedek, who is like the Son of God, to Aaron and his priestly role. Melchizedek is mentioned in the Old Testament in two places, Genesis chapter 14 verses 13 through 24 and Psalm 110. The writer of Hebrews has been leading up to this chapter by mentioning Melchizedek in chapters 5, verses 6 and 10, where he is quoting Psalm 110, and then chapter 6 ends with, This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil, where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. First, let's take a quick look at Genesis chapter 14, verses 13 through 24. In Genesis chapter 12, God spoke to Abram, and God called him to the land of promise. In chapter 13, we learn of Abram and Lot, and how they both grew so much they needed to part ways for their herds to grow. In chapter 14, Lot had moved to Sodom, and the land was taken over, and Lot and his household were taken. A fugitive came and told Abram, so Abram took his trained men, defeated the enemy, and brought Lot and his family home. When they were coming home in triumph, the king of Sodom came out to meet them. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, which means peace, brought out bread and wine. It is said he was a priest of God Most High, which to me is clear because there is only one God that is Most High. Melchizedek blessed Abram, and Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of all. Then in chapter 15, God promised a son to Abram. In chapter 16, we learn that Hagar, the servant, was given so Abram could have a son, and his name was Ishmael. In chapter 17, we learn of the covenant of circumcision, which the Lord gave, and it is here that Abram's name is changed to Abraham. It is not until chapter 21 that Isaac, the son of the promise, was born. Chapter 25, Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, was born. And then in chapter 30, we learn of Jacob's 12 sons by four women, one of which was Levi, which through his line was Moses and Aaron and the high priest. Another one of Jacob's sons was Judah, which through his line came Jesus. I lay out that sequence of events because it plays a part in the argument of the writer of Hebrews as he explains that Melchizedek, who was like the Son of God, comes before Aaron, the high priest. The other place in the Old Testament where we see Melchizedek is Psalm 110, a psalm of David. This is a psalm of celebration which shows the triumph of the king. This psalm is the most quoted psalm in the New Testament, and there are only seven verses. 
Verse 1 reads, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Jesus used this verse to stump the religious leaders of his day. This verse shows that Jesus, who was a descendant of King David, was also King David's Lord because Jesus was both fully human and fully God, King David's creator. Of course, the religious leaders did not understand. Then the psalm talks of the Lord's rule, and then verse 4 reads, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. And then the rest of the psalm talks of how the Lord will be victorious in battle. In this psalm, we learn that the Lord is both king and priest. So, with our background covered, let's jump into chapter 7 of Hebrews. The writer explained in verses 1 and 2 that Melchizedek was king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham after he was victorious in battle. Melchizedek blessed him, so Abraham gave a tenth of all. By the way, it was in Genesis chapter 14 that the giving of the tenth, which is also called the tithe, was first mentioned. Then the writer explains his name means king of righteousness, and Salem means peace. Same root word as shalom in Hebrew. So Melchizedek is king of righteousness and peace. Now, according to Psalm 76 verses 1 and 2, it says, God is known in Judah. His name is great in Israel. His tabernacle is in Salem. His dwelling place also is in Zion. This leads us to believe that Salem is an earlier name of Jerusalem, but that is not certain. Now in verse 3, he said, Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, he remains a priest perpetually. Some people interpret this verse as if he were an angel or Jesus incarnate, and others think it just means that some scripture is silent about it, we, don't, we do not know his parents or his ancestry or his birth or death date. It shows the silence of scripture about these issues. Truthfully, I could go either way on that one. But one thing I do know is that Melchizedek was made like the son of God. It is not that the son of God was made like Melchizedek. Also note that Melchizedek was made, the son of God is the maker. Now in verses 4 through 10, the writer is showing how Melchizedek's priesthood is better than Aaron's priesthood. Abraham, the Jewish patriarch, gave him a tenth of the plunder. In like manner, the priests from the line of Levi would collect a tenth from the people, their brothers of Abraham. Then he pointed out that Melchizedek was not of the line of Abraham, and he blessed the one who had received the promises of God yet, Beyond any dispute, the inferior is blessed by the superior. Leon Morris said, Even when Abraham is seen as the one who had the promises, Melchizedek is superior. Then the writer continues explaining how the priests all die, but Melchizedek lives. Keep in mind that scripture makes no comment about when he died or if he was taken up like Elijah. The writer then continues to prove the point that Melchizedek is superior because Levi, through Jacob, through Isaac, 
were all in Abraham when Abraham paid the tithe. One other thing to note in this section. We see in verse 5 that the writer is mentioning the sons of Levi who received the priest's office. And then in verse 8 about how mortal men receive tithes. Both are present tense. And it seems to indicate that the temple is still standing at the writing of this book which would then place this letter before A.D. 70. Starting with verse 11, the writer of Hebrews focused on Psalm 110. His argument is, if Aaron's priesthood was good enough, then why would the psalmist declare a need for a different priesthood? Leon Morris said, We ought not think of the law and the priesthood as two quite separate things that happen to be operative at the same time among the same people. The priesthood is the very basis of the law. Priesthood is used only in this chapter in the New Testament. Verse 12, a change in the priesthood means a change of the law as well. If you remember, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 verse 17, Think not that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. The writer continues that Jesus was not from the tribe of Levi, but from Judah. Just a side note, both of them had the same mother, Leah. Jesus was called as a priest, not because of his lineage, but because of the power of an indestructible life. Verse 16, the psalm said this priest would be forever. He then continues to explain that the law was weak and unprofitable. It perfected nothing because of our sinful nature. The sacrifice of animals could not clean us, but with Jesus we have a better hope, and through Jesus we draw near to God. Charles A. Trentham said, For this Hebrew preacher, religion was essentially drawing near to God. God the Father made an oath, and God cannot change his mind, who said that Jesus is a priest forever. George H. Guthrie said, For the author of Hebrews, this oath, made doubly strong by the assertion that the Lord will not change his mind, gives strong encouragement because it indicates a permanent provision for God's people. Then verse 22 reads, So Jesus has also become the guarantee of a better covenant. Jim Townsend said, One of the crucial ideas in Hebrews appears for the first time explicitly in chapter 7 verse 22. A better covenant. The word covenant, also found in chapter 9 verses 15, 18, and 20, chapter 10 verses 16 and 29, chapter 12, verse 24, and chapter 13, verse 20, the word covenant, or it is in some places translated testament, refers to God's arrangement with his people. The word is found more frequently in Hebrews 17 times than in any other New Testament book. Just a note, ladies. Do you see why the Bible is split into two main sections? the Old Testament or the Old Covenant and the New Testament, which is the New Covenant. This verse says that Jesus is the guarantee both to God and to humans. 
Leon Morris said, He guarantees to men that God will fulfill his covenant of forgiveness. And he guarantees to God that those who are in him are acceptable. In verses 23 through 25, the writer explained that unlike the priest who died, Jesus who lives holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is always able to save those who come to God through him, since he always lives to intercede for them. The picture images of a lawyer standing by our side who fights for us, speaks for us to the ultimate judge, God the Father. Then in verse 26, the writer said, For this is the kind of priest we need, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heaven. Charles A. Trentham said, Already the preacher had made allusions to Christ as high priest. This is found in chapter 2, verse 17, chapter 3, verse 1, and chapter 5, verses 5 through 10. No other New Testament writer uses this designation for Christ. This high priest did not need to offer a sacrifice for himself since he was sinless, but he offered himself up once for all. As we have said before, Jesus Christ will not die again on the cross. He has paid the price. It is finished. Since the priests were also sinners, they were weak. But the promise of the oath, which is found in the Psalms, which came after the law was given in Psalm 110, God appoints a son who has been perfected forever. Back in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 10, it reads, For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and through whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to perfect the author of their salvation through suffering. Jesus was not perfected from imperfection, but he was perfected through obedience to the Father. Another thing that the writer of Hebrews makes clear to us is the humanity of Jesus, which enabled him to be our mediator, or in this passage, our intercessor, our lawyer, or our guarantee. Our confidence is not in our works, but in the guarantee of Christ. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin hath left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Ladies, if you have heard his voice today, please don't harden your heart. Ralph P. Martin said of Hebrews, Sin is therefore seen as dragging of one's feet, and apostasy is like falling out of the race. Let's not do either. Let us pick up our feet, stay in the race, and keep heading forward until the finish line. Until next time, and thanks so very much for listening.